Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for men in their 40s who want to improve their health through nutrition and fitness. This is episode 108, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the risk of diabetes and how to know if you are borderline diabetic. Joining me is Anita Beckwith, who is a lead dietitian at King's College London and who specialises in diabetes. Anita has been in this field for over 20 years and is going to help us understand diabetes and why type 2 diabetes is related to lifestyle choices. But before we get into today's episode, I want to take a moment to mention the show's sponsors, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens was created by its founder after years of gut health issues that left him facing a health crisis with no solutions in sight. Despite his best efforts with a, to maintain a balanced, nourished diet, Chris's body struggled to absorb and synthesize nutrients. Chris developed Athletic Greens with a mission of creating a highest efficacy, bioavailable and nutritionally complete supplement to help your body function as it's supposed to. Now, as many of you know, I'm a big advocate of getting our vitamins and their nutrients from our diet. But with the stresses and strains of busy lives, it's not always possible to eat the most optimal diet. And so Athletic Greens, for me specifically, is a bit like an insurance policy. It means that I can get all of the vitamins and minerals that I need, even when I am busy and I'm unable to get all of the um, right diet choices in. So for listeners of the podcast, Athletic Greens is offering a 10% discount off your first order. So if you head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash fitter healthier dad, you can pick up your discount. Now let's crack into the episode. Hi Anita, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Thanks very much for taking the time out. So, um, Anita, for people that haven't come across you and what you do, can you give us a bit of background into uh, Anita and how you've come to where you're at today? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm a clinical lead dietitian in London. Um, I've been practicing now. It's 21 years, actually, this month, I've I've realized. So I qualified and finished uni. Um, So I qualified as a dietitian um, and a four-year degree then. And then I've been practicing in the NHS and have my own private practice. Um, And I've specialised in diabetes, particularly in the last 17 years. Um, So, yeah, so both in the NHS and in private practice. So I'm very familiar with working with people with type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, gestational diabetes. And there's a few other there's a few other less common variants that I see sometimes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So so you've worked with it for a long time then. And and it's interesting Mm. from my perspective, we're only starting to see kind of this really being brought to the fore now. But clearly it's been, you know, an issue for many, many years. But what do you see has been like a, a distinct change over the last kind of 10 years? Because it, for me, it appears it's been a huge rise in type 2. 
Yeah, there's there's been a there's been a rise in both actually. So both type one diabetes and type two diabetes have a genetic link. So type uh, one diabetes is where there's um, the destruction of the uh, cells that produce insulin. They're called beta cells, which are situated in the pancreas. So that there's absolutely no insulin being produced. So you need to use artificial insulin replacement. So whether that's injections or a small device called an insulin pump to replace the insulin. Um, and there's no other way without that. And actually this year, it's a hundred years since we were able to use insulin in that way. Wow. People had a very poor existence basically without mm. insulin you have no metabolism basically so it would literally be a few days of life really so it's massive what's changed in that time mm. and with type 2 diabetes type 2 diabetes is either to do with beta cell dysfunction so they're the cells that produce insulin but they're not working properly or something called insulin resistance which is actually where the body is producing more than enough insulin um, and it's just not working effectively so the body produces even more than it needs so when you were saying about sort of in the last 10 years I mean in terms of everything in diabetes both both type 1 and type 2 have increased type 2 has definitely increased more because there's increased risks of and it's associated with lifestyle factors and body weight um, and we know our food environment and our, our general environment that we're living in is becoming more convenient for us to sort of move less right. and eat more um, and that's not particularly an individual's responsibility. There is some of that too there, but when we look at it sort of globally and population level, there's more dynamics there, which I can talk about in terms of uh, government policy um, and right. how that fits with our general general population. So that's definitely affect, affected things, mm. but in terms of managing it in those 10 years, um, the technologies, the types of insulin, the medications have come a long way mm. um, into how we can, we can manage it. But with that comes obviously quite a great cost to the NHS, to society as well, um, with the effects of what diabetes, you know, what diabetes causes and what comes with it. Yeah, I mean, I heard a crazy statistic of quite a few, actually, that there's like 22 amputations done a day in the NHS due to um, diabetes. And there's 16 billion a year spent in the NHS to try and manage diabetes. Um, but there's like 300 and well, over 400 million globally have type two and mm -hmm. 350, which I think this is more of a scary statistic, mm -hmm. are pre-diabetic. So mm -hmm. their blood sugars are outside the normal ranges, but mm -hmm. they don't, they don't know. And I think a lot of guys that I work with, you know, we all laugh and joke around, you know, the midlife spread and you know, the dad bod and all the rest of it. Mm. But that is the kind of almost like a precursor to potentially diabetes, isn't it? Cause we store a lot of fat around our middle guys and our light, like you say, specifically lifestyle and access to food and the way that it's produced is a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, certainly men are at higher risk. Um, and you mentioned about abdominal uh, fat and where fat's stored. So men naturally have that distribution um, more um, in, in terms of that. And then, as we're saying, yeah, activity wise, um, food availability wise, we're, we're able to access things a lot a lot more easily and readily mm. with less effort. And we probably saw this, you know, through lockdown, we were able to order anything and everything all the yeah. time without <clears> moving <throat> from our seats. Um, and interestingly, with COVID, what we've seen is that people with diabetes have uh, have had much higher risk uh, comorbidities. So that's with 
um, extra uh, effects of what's happened with diabetes if they have those already. And also mortality rates as well in diabetes were much mm. higher. So a third, a third of the deaths that happened in the UK were people who had diabetes. Right. So it's, it's uh, and the and the effect of having higher blood glucose levels, which is what diabetes is about, mm -hmm. um, meant that these people had more severe forms so perhaps they needed more ICU admissions yeah but certainly as you were you were saying the the environment that we live in and the um the the movement and the society we're living in where we we are able to access things makes it harder mm. and that's a really key part actually when you're mentioning those mind-blowing figures and how it's just grown and grown and grown is because we that's the all the campaigns that come out for uh looking at either obesity or diabetes and obviously type 2 diabetes is very much related with body weight and living with a higher bmi are very much about um looking at the individual making a change but when you look at those population numbers when you look at it in a in, in a whole you're looking at people who aren't haven't all got the accessibility or event or, or money to be able to yeah buy certain services or buy certain foods. So when you look at those stats, what, you, what, what I'm really keen on looking at with that, and I'm part of a group called Ideal Diabetes that are a multidisciplinary group that are looking at improving um, equality of care, is when you look at, um, say, social deprivation, um, people who are living in a higher social deprivation area are 2.5 times more likely to develop type two diabetes. Yeah. So in a bigger scale of looking at those stats, we need to think about who are those people and where does it, it fit for those people. Yeah. And then thinking about it in terms of what accessibility for everybody. And mm. one part is that perhaps advice isn't tailored particularly individually. Yeah. Um, myself as a dietitian, we're, we're trained to be able to provide this support. And we've been doing it for, for a long time yeah. um, before sort of nutrition was sexy, really. You know, it's all, yeah. it's all very sexy nowadays. But um, so people understand it a little bit more and more interested, which is brilliant. Um, but um, the the yeah the the message and the can be mixed so if people are going say to their gp or seeing somebody they might not be able to tailor that advice for them and unfortunately for us as dietitians we're a very limited resource so we need more funding to be able to support yeah. that to be able to provide the care the great thing that's happened actually and really supported through covid is that there's a big explosion of digital health companies coming yeah. to support either diabetes prevention, as you just mentioned, or um, type two diabetes. And that's actually been a really, um, a really impressive um, explosion of care really, and being able to provide that support in a timely manner. So that's been a really positive thing, um, but it's, it's how we continue to provide that as the numbers are growing and growing, as you've just described. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, there, there's been a complete explosion in continual blood glucose monitoring, loads of companies that have come out now, and that they're kind of making that a little bit sexy in some ways. You know, I actually used a type one meter last oh, year wow. to, to, to test myself so that I could understand what goes on. And it's fascinating, the various different foods that change your blood sugar, like coffee for me would spike my blood sugar, because obviously it spikes cortisol, um, and that, that has a blood sugar response. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, Anita, and, and this is just my view on what I've seen, and that is, you know, often there's a common misconception that, um, you know, people that are overweight is, oh, you eat too much. But I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that we have lost the understanding 
of what food is. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we just kind of, we're very busy in life. We're very busy with other stuff. We go into the supermarket and we buy whatever's on the shelf, right? Because we, it, it's either known to us from what we've been brought up with in our, you know, in our childhood years, or it's something that we like, or it's just, we just need food, right? And unfortunately, even with the stuff that's healthy, mm. when you actually take the time to look at the ingredients, it is really shocking. And I thought I'm, I'm very, I'm extremely troubled by this because I had this situation with my son this week, funnily enough, and um, he has ham and cheese in his sandwiches. And um, I, I bought this ham and I turned it over and I had a look and I was blown away by the amount of sugar that was in mm. this ham and various different types of sugars. So I don't believe that it's, it's a necessary a case of, you know, people just eating too much. I think, you know, there's a lot of work that needs to happen to raise awareness of what's on the shelves and how eating a nutrient dense diet needs what it needs to look like really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, when I was mentioning about government policy, what, what needs to, needs to be considered is and we're thinking like the sugar tax and that actually has had quite a great effect mm. um is thinking about actual policy so rather than going downstream to the individual looking upstream to the food manufacturers how things are provided thinking about the architecture when you go into a supermarket like you don't need sweets at a clothes store pay point um but all of these things are put there and and you know yeah. so it's very difficult and it, yes it's changing behaviors and we know that's very complex but as you said it, it's looking more at the wider food industry and what goes into there and certainly there's definitely additives and things put into food to make them more hyper palatable um, yeah. and which are often have more calories in them and we actually gen generally they'll give signals to our in parts of our brain that are reward system that will make us want to have more of those things um, and have that sort of dopamine release of, of, yeah. of feeling good about ourselves and that's that's something that's come within things and as you was mentioning it's great if we can choose whole foods and we can and we have the ability to be able to do that to, to try and prepare and cook things and know what's in things for sure um, and that's another thing that's that's come about with all of this is looking at you know one thing is a lot of people do know the education they know the education part but right. it's actually maybe the maybe it's the facility so maybe it's cooking skills um people are time poor you just mentioned that so how can we look at providing a support for people that they're able to choose the right foods and still often things will still take the same amount of time as heating up you know a, a, another yeah, type of absolutely. meal absolutely yeah um it won't make any difference um so those things are really important and also people's cooking facilities so it might just be education more in that part than the actual education of the messaging of which foods to have because a lot of people know they need to have more fruit and vegetables um, yeah. and and also how those messages are delivered so we've learned that rather than saying more fiber to somebody you need to be saying more nuts and seeds more exactly you know, yeah whole grain bread you need to be very specific about what the, the the messaging is and sometimes that's very confused and we just need to make it more appropriate to the types of foods that each, you know different people in different populations are having to yeah. make it more usable and user-friendly yeah and I think it's like you say it's, it's stripping it back and making it simple because you know I with the guys that I work with a lot of them don't even the, their general kind of default response to me is I eat healthily I said well that yeah. can mean a whole raft of different things and from what I see unfortunately the western diet 
has evolved so much that it's generally carbohydrate based. Now, with all the clients I work with, they keep a food diary seven days before they work with me. Okay, so I I can see and I've yet to have this disproven, but 99.9% of the guys I work with, more than 50% of their macronutrients are carbohydrates. And Mm -hmm. we just don't, the body needs that 100%, but we don't need it in the volume in which the Western diet has evolved to give it in. And we need more fats and we need more protein. But I am always amazed by the amount of people that don't know what they are. They don't know what carbohydrates are. They don't know what protein and they don't know what the right fats are because fats have been demonized. So it's like, stay away from fat. You know, we shouldn't Mm. have fat, which is not the case. And then what protein and carbohydrates is. So, so, you know, particularly guys, you know, they, they tend not to go in the kitchen some sometime. So what mm. would you say for people listening to this, how they could just start to get that level of understanding of the various different elements of, of a diet? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, it's, yeah, I think everybody, if they, if they have the ability to be able to go into the kitchen and break things down, that that'd be a great thing to do. And I'm just thinking of your audience and thinking that's a great thing to do with children and to do with a family so you're all doing the same thing and I think one of the what the shames of not understanding is maybe educating yourself and either either that's you know looking online it could be speaking to a professional you know reading and understanding the difference between yes carbohydrates looking for the slower release carbohydrates that we're talking about blood glucose levels so the ones that are are like more whole grains so the, the brown pastas the whole grain breads um those kinds of things that are going to be more slow release more pulses and lentils and those kinds of things as well if possible but in trying to introduce those into the family diet early is quite a helpful thing to do if possible because they start to become something that are accepted a little bit more not with all children i know but but sometimes they can be rather than being left to later on in life if they're starting to be introduced in early years so bringing those things in and making it a family event is is helpful protein so fish meat eggs um tofu and actually having more of a plant-based diet is definitely more beneficial yep. so trying to have maybe 50 percent of your meals if you can certainly reducing red meat maybe having that like once a week and lean red meat oily fish for omega-3 so really good for joints um really good as an natural anti-inflammatory rather than ibuprofen really good for our joints and things as we get older we need a little bit more lubrication yeah. in our joints um and then um loads of veg loads of because that'll give lots of antioxidants and as we age naturally um we are exposed to free radicals which just damage all the time in everywhere yeah. in the environment that damage parts of our body so having lots of colored fruit and veg helps with increasing the antioxidants that we're having in our diet so in terms of just breaking down to the food groups and looking at the the fats particularly you mentioned fats so the healthy fats particularly so olive oil based stuff rapeseed oil avocados those those are the best types to be having um and then the whole grain carbohydrates and the protein and the lots of fruit and veg and breaking down just to the food groups thinking about on the on your plate of food making sure you've got components of those um and then you know you mentioned about activity and things so it might be variant so you might be thinking of putting your having your carbohydrates more around your activity depending on what type of activity you're doing yeah and that's also why it's so important to tailor it, isn't it? Because not everybody needs, sometimes people will be slightly active and think, oh, I'm following the diet of an athlete. And it's just not yeah. the case. It really depends on how that balances to your lifestyle, to, to personalizing that and tailoring it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I saw an in- infographic a few weeks ago, which breaks down how the body burns um, its calories throughout the day. 
And it, if you exercise, only five to ten percent of your calories are burnt through exercise. The rest of it is just burnt through general existing living, right? Yeah. So that's that. I think you make a very good point there. People go to a gym or they go and work out or they go for a five k run. They think right, I can eat whatever I like. You can't. You're you're lucky if you go for a five k run. You're lucky if you burn the equivalent of a Kit Kat. You know, and yeah. that's a hard run at a five k pace. So, yeah. you know, if you, you to burn off a whole Domino's pizza, you would need to run a marathon. That, yes. That, that's to be net burning off that the amount of calories. So I think that's where the confusion lies, isn't it? People don't really get, they can't kind of gauge as, as to how much they're burning versus how much they need. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you're mentioning about the food. If you're looking at body weight and you're looking at wanting to make changes to that, what you'll your food intake will more affect your body weight than any activity you do. What we know from research is, you know, looking at the quality and quantity of what you're having is really important and different people have different pathways that suit them to, to do that. Activity is really important. It's important for so many other reasons apart from body weight, but um, that will help you maintain the, the body that you want really. And, and, and at that uh, you know and the weight loss maybe that you've achieved and you're wanting to maintain and also because it's quite a healthful behavior well, it is a healthful behavior we we know that that obviously can really positively influence the food choices so if you're active yes. you'll be thinking a little bit more mindfully about what you're putting into your body because you you are more active so you're wanting to maintain that that positive um behaviors that you've you've taken on yeah and and so when you when you when you're working with someone in anita what kind of areas of their lives are you looking at? Because the default approach is exercise and diet, isn't there? But there are lots of different areas of life that we can look at that would affect our dietary choices. Yeah, yeah. So um, one thing I'll always look at actually is, is sleep. I often like look at the foundation of sleep. I know people really talk about this much more in, in our well-being. But if you can really see a pattern, so you'll often see eating behaviors with that. And we know there's lots of evidence for if people have broken sleep, they might be eating through that time and where the calories are coming from. And sometimes that foundation of looking at how we can support having more consistent sleep and trying to regulate patterns. And, you know, there's lots of information now about sleep hygiene and um, trying to you know get off our phones and get off the screens and yeah getting away from the TV and just taking that time. That's a key part that you can build everything else in. The other part I'll really look at as well is people's relationship with food over time, yeah. because we're all so different. So, and that's transient. It's never black and white that that will stay the same. But if, if, you've, if you're having a fairly unhealthy relationship with food, a, a diet plan or any of these things won't, won't help and might even drive that behavior worse. So I'd really look into they're the, they're the main two things I'll start to investigate and understand from somebody because that then leads and sort of paves the way to which direction we're going to go in and what we're going to um, sort of work on first. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think it it definitely stems from childhood. And I think a lot of people are, are, are unaware of this. And I can speak of this from personal experiences. So when I was a child, I distinctly remember when we were kids, I would love a packet of crisps and I'd go towards crisps. But my parents restricted me from that, quite rightly so. Yet when I got to an adult, if there were crisps around, I would do a six pack. I would eat as many crisps as I can. Mm. So I think it's that, like you say, it's our relationship with food is very key to how that comes along in, in adult life. Um, and, and having that, you know, that awareness or just reflecting on that can really, really help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, I think, you know, through, sorry, through, through lockdown, right, that, yeah. that's really been magnified for people. So identifying and knowing that's a really key 
you know source of importance really to then help you move on and also not to feel which is really associated with food behaviors is the guilt and shame of it because actually it's been quite normal through this time that people have done that but it's recognizing it and then thinking as you said reflecting on it and thinking where do I need to get support from this or looking at your pattern and thinking how can I change that um, yeah. to, to yeah. be more positive and and us talking about that it sounds really basic and really simple but it's really ho- often hard to recognize I mean I've just released a podcast today because a lot of the guys I work with they're very that they think that they do you remember the r white's advert the secret lemonade drink yeah advert? Do you i remember do that? well yes well yeah, a lot yeah. of this is what made me record this episode was a lot of guys in the evening when they talk to me in confidence they say that they're secret snackers and they think they're the only ones that do it most okay. guys that i work with particularly after meals at night they'll hit the sweet cupboard or the chocolate cupboard on the rest of it and I think that, you know, it's the, it's the serotonin, the dopamine hits that all happen as a result, isn't it? And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, that it's, it's from a mindset perspective, it's recognizing that behavior and the habits and trying to change your environment or change something to kind of counter against it. So what kind of advice do you give people around that when they, they say to you, oh, Anita, I'm really, I'm snacking, or I'm craving stuff at night. What's, what's your mm. view on that? Mm. So normally if you have a craving, it's normally likely to do with either denying yourself of something so you're really wanting it or, or often it's an irregularity of eating. So whether you, somebody has diabetes or not, um, there'll be an effect on blood glucose levels. So if, you, if you're not eating, a classic thing that people do is not eat for a very long period of time, wait till the evening and eat all their calories and, more, and often more actually research shows it's generally more than they would have if yeah. they'd break, broken it down in a day so it's really starting to get again it's that habit and putting those sort of pillars in place so the sleep pattern where does that fit with their their meals and their timing and how are they doing things and as you were describing earlier about being so busy so particularly looking at being in a family and this is very difficult because it's changed so much from when I was a kid but we were never allowed to sit in front of telly and what and, and eat when we yeah. were you know my dad was very vigilant about that but it's very difficult nowadays because there's screens and entertainment yeah. and things everywhere so sometimes people find some way of at least regulating one part of the day um, and then starting to build on that can really help um, and if people are having certain foods that they are trying to reduce, but they're finding they're binging more on them at certain times of day, then I'd be looking at what I always look at as a model is like 80-20. So if you're 80% of the time trying to follow the healthful behaviors and healthful food choices, it's okay to be doing those other things yeah. within everything. And it's when normally you're completely denying yourself and it's this all or nothing approach of behavior, which a lot of us do. It's quite a perfectionist approach of doing it. You have to do 100% or 110%. Yeah. But if you sort of break it down and look at that, it's okay to do those things. So you can sort of plan those things in a little bit more and allow yourself because it's normally when you restrict that you binge. So yeah. it's thinking, how do you, how do you balance it out through the day? Yeah, I, I agree. I think the restrictive nature, and this is where I have a big problem with diets, is it, mm. it is a restrictive framework, isn't it? It's like, well, mm-hmm. you can have this many calories or you can't have this, or if you're paleo, keto, whatever it is, you know, it's restricting certain food groups. And I never think that that's a good way to approach food, nutrition, and fuel. We need balance. You know, mm-hmm. life has taught us we do need balance in our lives. And so mm-hmm. by just completely stripping that out and just not having it, like you say, it then, when the wheels fall off, because they do, 
and life gets stressful or you've had a bad day, you're like, you're all in, aren't you? And that mm-hmm. has just such a, a bigger negative impact than it would if you were just consuming it gradually. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. It's definitely about that, that balance. And also, it's fitting it in with everyone else, isn't it? So mm. if you're eating something completely differently to the rest of your family, um, and also it's that, it's that part of modelling, we children learn from, from copying. We learn from doing something as adults we learn from doing and making mistakes learning from them or or learning from positive behavior that's adult learning children learn from copying so also that dynamic and that behavior will be brought into the next generation so thinking how we manage food how we approach food our our viewpoints it's all picked up children as we know children absorb everything as a sponge and they pick up a lot um, more than you think Um, so so all of those behaviors really instill into the next generation and the next generation so it's really important to start to place place things as you can um, with you know um, to provide some structure I guess as much as as much as you can yeah so I want to I want to ask you um if if there's some guys people listen to this who they realize that they you know that they're slightly overweight and they're perhaps their diet's not that great and they are consuming either a lot of inflammatory fats a lot of fried food or a lot of sugar what would your approach be because 10 with again with guys we tend to go all or nothing don't we and it's a case of right and I'm eating back, right, I'm going to cut it all out. That's it. And day one, we start and we cut it all out. But what would your, what would your approach be to that? What would be the best approach would you recommend? Yeah, um, so, so it would be, I'd always look at like two or three changes that that, that individual can do. So yeah. if, we're, if we're specifically looking at food, um, I can't, it's difficult to generalize. I don't want to generalize with people, but it might, it might be switching. So let's say protein. Protein is a classic yeah. thing. Um, so it's starting to look at um, different ways of preparing food or reducing the amount of fatty cuts of, of, of meat. So perhaps having more lean red meat if you're going to have it, but trying to reduce that, having more chicken, um, having uh, more, uh, some, some dif- differs. Some people can go more plant-based. Some people take a little bit more to, yeah. to going into that. So it might be starting to look at more fish and chicken if people are able to. So switches rather than total changes and yeah. not cutting things out completely. And then with the carbs, again, it's trying to switch. Yeah, if there is more refined products, trying to say, if you're having them all the time, trying to have them say half the half the time of the week you're trying to go for more whole grains you mentioned like pizza and things like a dominoes if that's going to happen it's trying to think how how often do you have like those takeouts and it's yeah. not just one type of takeout it's all of them because often yeah. well, if i speak to somebody they'll say i have pe- you know dominoes say if you've used that example um once once a week but then if you go into each other takeout that could be every night of the week yeah. so it's thinking it is thinking like if i do that seven days let me try and half that at least and build on that, start to get into it. And it's about habit forming, isn't it? It's about yes. going day on day, week on week and realizing you can you can manage without those things. Yeah. Um, and then if it is simple swaps, because you don't have time, because you're busy working, there are like ready-made meals have different viewpoints, but there are ready-made meals in supermarkets that actually you can see the fat content, you can see the, the content there and yeah. you can look at it and think that's a better alternative. Like I can have that type of a food that I would have got as a takeaway but I can have that as an alternative. If I'm time poor, I'm unable to do this right now. And then it started to pick up from there of starting to prepare these things. And a lot of the time, as I said earlier, the ready-made meal takes as long as preparing the actual yeah. meal in itself. Um, yeah. It's it's 
becoming more confident I guess with doing that yeah yeah I agree and I think there there are a lot of alternatives that you can have for example you know we've been talking about pizza you know there are a lot of alternative pizza bases that you can make at home you know you can make a mozzarella pizza base or a cauliflower pizza base and people listening might think oh that's disgusting but if you get the recipe it's really basic and straightforward and you can make it in the same amount of time as what mm-hmm. it would, you would wait for have to have one made you know in in the local takeaway so i think mm-hmm. that's that's the other key it's, it's not about well i'm eating healthy so i can no longer have that you can you know like beef burgers for example you can quite easily make a beef burger at home it's quite easily to yeah. do, easy to do um and then you can put a lot of other healthy stuff with it you know or I'll say healthy more balanced nutritionally uh you know food so mm-hmm. if if we've got guys though that are concerned about you know that they think that they're kind of heading towards type two or could have to, what kind of symptoms do people kind of start seeing when that when that starts to happen yeah it's, it's tricky this one because um the symptoms can be quite vague um right. and the symptoms often can be associated with aging so you might be going to the they're just vague things you think oh I'm just getting a bit older so maybe that's happening so you might be going um peeing more through the day and at night um you might have slightly blurred vision so actually opticians often pick up type 2 diabetes before the person knows because they'll notice when they're having their eyes checked yeah um you may lose some weight and it may be more gradual with type 2 diabetes so actually you might have wanted to lose weight. So you're feeling like I'm not doing anything different. This is great. I'm losing weight. And the other part that happens with that is people compliment you, which actually can make it a harder thing to recognize because it feels like it's a positive thing that's happened. Um, And also if you haven't been doing anything different, it's great because you haven't made any difference to your life to have to get to that result. Um, So I mentioned being thirsty a lot as well. And that's a thing, again, you just think, oh, am I just a bit more thirsty than Mm -hmm. usual? Um, And that can happen. So they can be quite gradual and not really noticeable. Another thing is actual genital itching. So I'm just going to say like thrush as well is a a thing to mention. I know people shy about talking about these things, but um, so yeast and and sugar and uh, bacteria love that environment. So that can happen as well. So I want to say, because it's something that we sometimes don't talk about. Um, So all of those symptoms can gradually happen. um, And often with type two diabetes, somebody has had type two for 10 years before they're diagnosed. So Diabetes UK do campaigns sometimes like looking for the missing million, because there are people who are on that trajectory of having type two, but it's been very vague. So, uh, you know, if you're not sure, and certainly for if you're um, over 40, you have your over 40s checkup, please don't miss it. Go to the GP and have all those checks because they're looking at risk factors for cardiovascular health, diabetes, stroke, all of these things. So super important to go. also um, on Diabetes UK website, they have like a risk factor chart. So you can just fill in your deep, like your ethnicity, your age, yeah. gender, all these things. And they give you like a, an idea to look, to look at, to, to have those things checked. If you're, never, if you're really not sure and you're starting to feel it, go to your GP. Yeah. Because um, now we've got great evidence that we can support um, people going on that trajectory to type two diabetes, which we've never had before. Right. And I'm sure people have heard in the media the soups and shakes diet was the big headlines that came out last September. And so that's looking at total diet replacement. So that's the extreme part. Well, more of an extreme diet, mm. but something that's very effective in if people do are in the early stages of diabetes, actually. Um, going into remission some people call it reversal but I like to call it remission because um, it doesn't go away so the risk factors are still there you're still at risk of those risk factors but you have changed that trajectory and it's seen more in early the early stages of type 2 diabetes so if you're under sort of 
the six year mark of having type two and the weight loss um, of going on those diets, which are about 800 calorie a, a day diet for 12 weeks. It's not forever. That's the other thing in the media and social media that's looked yeah. at like it's for life. It's certainly not for that, but it's a nutritionally complete um, diet that is just for those 12 weeks. Um, and then you go on to going on to starting having a normal diet. Um, and actually the long-term data on that's five, six year data now is still showing great improvement we've had nothing like it in type 2 diabetes right if to to actually be able to say you know you've gone into remission and obviously the long-term effects of diabetes can be obviously quite disabling so so anything where you can change something is also important in that to say it's not forever and it's also not for everybody so again when if that was something was ever suggested for you or you thought about you'd be screened and certainly talk about to your healthcare providers if that was something you're interested in in terms of diabetes prevention, lifestyle factors are really important that we've mentioned now. Being more active is more important to prevent that. And there's, um, as I mentioned earlier, digital programs and face-to-face programs, once we're able to do more face-to-face, yeah. um, that are available that have really nice structure to them to support people. Because what we know is this stuff's hard. And what we know mm. from all the research and, and from you know people on a day-to-day is that if you have accountability and you have support with other people, it's much easier to be able to achieve those things. So there are programs out there. So if you're feeling like this is something I want to change, there are things to support you. And it's key when you're doing things, because you will read things on the internet, there are books available and things. But for some of this stuff, if you're on medications, you need a healthcare provider to support you because if you yeah. are losing weight, those medications are going to change. And just to say for the definition of remission, the definition of remission is having a, a long-term blood glucose level, which is called an HbA1c or glycated yeah. hemoglobin, less than 6.5% or 43 millimole per mole. So that's a normal, sort of like a normal blood glucose level for, for at least six months. That's what remission means. And that's the agreed sort of um, uh, terminology for that. So we certainly know that that's possible. So certainly if you're thinking there are things you could change on a day-to-day with your, your um, lifestyle and diet, and you're feeling that maybe you're starting to pick up on those symptoms or you're worried about it, certainly go to your GP and speak about the options for you to su- support you. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing as well is, is a lot of people will get impacted quite significantly by the fact that they might be pre or actually, you know, type two diabetes, and it'd be quite a, a you know big impact for them. But I think it's important to remember that you won't again, you're not in the minority, unfortunately, and to have that support, have that accountability, you know, it's not necessarily going to be an easy path to, to kind of remission, like you say. And I think that's an important point you make about Mm. it being remission and not kind of complete um, cure, if if that makes Mm. sense. Mm. Um, And and having that support there just to kind of, you know, it doesn't also doesn't mean that you, you, you have to stop living, you know, it's just this, it's just this, process you need to go through in order to optimize your health and if you think about it from that perspective you're optimizing your health to become you know the healthiest you can be at the age that you're at if you take that approach it becomes way way easier um mm. and i think that yeah i think you say like you say there are so many resources out there um and i think you and i've talked about a little bit about the technology that's coming out one thing that i do want to say and it'd be good to get your your thoughts on this is that they are great But the bottom line is we're not doctors and we're not medical practitioners. And whilst they might come with support from from, you know, from these companies, um, it's always you definitely need to have it double checked by a medical practitioner. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about the technologies and the, yeah, and the support. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. I, I've used, you know, I've, I've used the type two on myself so that I can understand what happens to my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. I've had blood tests. So I can understand what my HbA1c is and all that kind of stuff. But, and whilst that data is amazing, you need a medical practitioner to be able to kind of help you decipher it and then put things in place. And we, and that's what I do day to day all the time. So like looking at data and supporting people. And certainly, as you said, like it's not for everybody. Some people will feel very overwhelmed. Like you were mentioning, I think with the, the device where you're scanning all the time, your blood glucose levels. So for some people, they find it, most people find it super helpful. What they'll describe it as is like turning on um, a light in a darkened room and yeah. suddenly understanding their diabetes. But at the same point, the, the data can be overwhelming for some people because there's so much information there. So as you were saying there, it's getting the support of a healthcare professional and understanding how to use it. And there are there's a lot more online tools now available. So if somebody does use them, we're always directing people to um, uh, certain online like videos and training and education and certainly working together with somebody, as you said, to understand what it all means. Mm. Um, because some of the data is very helpful and some of it you, you don't need to worry about too much. And when I'm working... I'm going to talking about type one diabetes in our type one diabetes clinic. What we know is looking at our data, six, the data of people 60 to 70% of the time, if their blood glucose are in range, that's great. They're going to get to where they need to get to. We've looked retrospectively. We've got hundreds and hundreds of people in our clinics. So that's amazing to help people to think I don't need to be in range all the time. And it's really dependent. And that's something you need to work out with your, your healthcare professional and practitioner of, of what that means to you. But it's also very much diabetes, a numbers game. Um, and not all of those numbers are something that you're going to be able to be responsible for because certain things affect numbers that as you, you know, there's stress yeah. and things like this, which you can't, you know, you can limit stress to a point, but you're not always in control no. of it. Um, so certainly those numbers can be super helpful, but yeah, having the support of somebody to understand them and also take away the burden of them sometimes if it yeah. isn't being as helpful, um, for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. No, I completely agree. I think, um, yeah, support in numbers, definitely. You can't do this stuff on your own and, and nor should you really. I mean, it's having that support there and that encouragement, the accountability really, really helps, you know, and yeah. studies have shown the, the accountability element in anything we do in life is very, very helpful to keep yeah. us on track so yeah. Anita before, before I let you go what would you say are the top kind of five things that you would recommend uh, to people listening to this who are perhaps concerned about just general health and diet and maybe pre-diabetic or diabetic what what five things could you recommend today yeah yeah so one thing is to not to look at what's going to work for you at this time so if there's lots of different approaches and you're feeling overwhelmed to talk through with with a health care practitioner of the options for you and not to feel pushed into one way of doing things because yeah. there is a there is a different way of doing things and you don't have to also stick to that thing this is the other thing for life if you right. if one thing suits you for a certain period of time and it changes that's okay so that's the key thing to finding something that works with your family um, and works with the people around you try not to do something that's not going to be something that you can do together because whenever I talk about food, food is so enjoyable to have. Yeah, it's so yeah. important that it's, it's the cultural aspects and the community aspects of eating is so important and it gets lost. And certainly on that BLCD diet in the first 12 weeks, it probably will be you doing that bit. But as you go on to eating normally, um, that's really important with family. I think food preparation and cooking. So if you're not so familiar with those things, maybe starting to spend a little bit of time yeah. looking at those sorts of things. And again, getting, getting the family involved as well. Um, in terms of, I'd say a food choice, I'd be saying 
vegetables, you know, as much as you can have, um, really low calorie, loads of vitamins and minerals. You're talking about inflammation and things as we age, really, really important. And the other part is movement. And I know we say it, but any movement, if you, what the stuff that you enjoy doing, it's, you know, and try to do it daily. Um, and I know we had like a mental health week recently and their connection, their theme was nature this, this yeah. time round, and getting outside. And, and again, the whole family aspect, being a dad and going out and doing things with your family um, and trying to get that community and, and togetherness with your, your, the people close to you really is really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the movement side of it because it, you know, we all we all think about exercise where I always use the term movement now because there's so many more different facets to it, isn't there? You can yeah. go out for, for a walk and actually go out for a walk without headphones, just take yes. in nature, appreciate nature and things like that, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be a massively long marathon or all the rest of it. And then, you know, things that I've discovered through injury are, you know, functional movement, being able to move in a certain way, being able to squat down, stretch your body out. That's all movement. That all helps, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's nice to be the fastest and the strongest, but you don't always have to be those things. No. It can be what you enjoy on a day-to-day, -day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the final thing I wanted to touch on there was, it was yeah. around, you know, food preparation, and particularly men listen to this, get in the kitchen with the kids and bake something. Kids love it. Honestly, they love getting involved. And it's a way to kind of, you know, subliminally educate them, isn't it? You know, well, yeah. this is flour and this might be a carbohydrate or this is sugar and this is what will happen to our bodies when we ingest it and all the rest. Of it. You know, that might sound a little bit over the top, but it's just a way to educate all of us. Yeah, so true. Sometimes we don't know what actually goes into making something. So actually no. putting it into its component parts is, is education for everyone. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Um, for people listening to this, how can they connect with you? What are your socials, your website? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So I'm um, on social media. I'm Anita underscore RD. So at Anita, A-N-I-T-A underscore RD. And that's on Twitter and on Instagram. And then um, my website is coming soon. It's a bit of a pause at the moment, but it will be. I've got the, the domain, yeah. uh, www. And it's just my name, Anita Beckwith, A-N-I-T-A-B-E-C-K-W-I-T-H.com. Um, and that'll be out in the next couple of months. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for your time again. And um, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.